suspect our first subject is our friend Lorenz Lorenz Schittenbauer for sure so so the first things that brought the police's attention to him were his statements at the discovery of the bodies I mean actually he was a good suspect because of his relationship with Victoria and his animosity with Andreas and he was their neighbor so not only did he have motive and opportunity and his behavior was completely bizarre, but I mean, he went in and touched all of the bodies, touched all the crime scene. Yeah, that's like the first sign of somebody who is guilty, like somebody that wants to come in and touch and mess with everything that way, you know, if they're, they are looking for DNA or fingerprints, it's like, oh, well, you know, as soon as I showed up, I, I messed with everything. That's, that explains why my fingerprints are everywhere. Right. And there was a report that before they went into the house, he used a key to get in. Mm. Remember, at the beginning, they did have some keys go missing, but it is possible that as a neighbor or Victoria's boyfriend, you know, he might have been given a key. But then is it a coincidence? I don't know. Mm. That's super weird. Extremely. So let me play devil's advocate, though, and ask you, like, what could he have possibly gotten out of murdering this family besides revenge? Yeah, I mean, also the fact that, like, whoever did this was living in their attic for six months before. Right. And I feel like if Lorenz had been, like, out with them and, like, obviously if he was sleeping with Victoria and he was, like, you know, in this legal battle with her or whatever, like, what, why would he be living in the attic? Or, like, wouldn't people see him come and go or, you know, like, climbing up into crawl spaces? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's very strange. And like I had told you before, whenever they went into the property, Lorenz was saying that he was looking for his son. He kept saying, where's my little boy? Mm -hmm. And then later on, in 1931, he was interviewed by the police. And they asked him, do you actually feel that you were the father of Victoria Gabriel's child? And he said, I do not know. I cannot say that. Hmm. Very noncommittal. Right. But whenever he was in the house, he was so intent on looking for his son. Years later, he says, hmm, I don't know. I can't say if he's my son or not. Kind Hmm. of He also asked the investigators if he would be getting the money back that he had paid for child support. Ah, This is a perfect time to bring that up, sir. Man, God, men. You know what I mean? Yeah. You suck. You're the worst. Ew. Ew. Yeah, I hate him. And okay, like the fact that he has a key, that's freaking me out too. Now, okay, here's my question. Is it possible that somebody living in the attic was completely unrelated? Yeah. Like, maybe there was this vagrant homeless person that was, like, 
you know, just saw a nice place to live and he had been hanging out in the attic and maybe he didn't even know that any of this had happened. And then, you know, all of a sudden there's like dead bodies and he's like, oh, well, I guess, uh, guess I should just <laughs> I guess I better go. Cha cha cha. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it totally could have, but I don't think that they ever explored that possibility. Um, if it was him, wouldn't there have been some blood on him? How would he have left the murders, um, being that there was only footsteps to the farmhouse, but not away from it? You know, wouldn't there be some sort of trail leading back to his house? whether that be hay or, you know, like blood or anything. Wouldn't somebody mm-hmm. have seen him coming out of that barn looking like a crazed maniac? Well, obviously it doesn't. For, okay, first of all, it seems like the farm is like super remote. Second, the police didn't seem too worried about this case. So I really doubt that they looked that much for like blood spatter evidence, like leading to and from. Right. You know? Because, I mean, like, Andrea said that he saw all the footprints, but they never really bring up footprints later, you know? I mean, and it's totally feasible that he murdered all of them, covered them up, and then went home and, you know, like, burn your clothes, take a shower. Nobody would ever know. Sounds like you know a lot about this. Slowly incriminating myself (laughs) one day at a time. (laughs) But... yeah it's like you you, no I I understand what you're saying totally but I mean to his credit he has been investigated multiple times and he was proclaimed to be innocent I mean they even asked um the the new chief prosecutor even asked the regional courts to go over the whole investigation and look for any evidence that related to Lorenz and they didn't find anything So, I mean, he's certainly the person that we have the most information about and seems like the most likely suspect, but there were others. Hmm. Well, if it sounds like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. Or in this case, a dick. (laughs) Because that's what he is. So, our next suspect is Victoria's dead husband, Carl Gabriel. What? Yes. All right, so Victoria was widowed by her husband during World War I, okay? But his body was never found. So people started to speculate that maybe he really wasn't dead. Maybe he had come back for revenge because not long after he died, she started an affair with Lorenz and I guess picked back up with her dad since Yosef was most likely her father's child. So did he come back for revenge? Now, there were people that he served with that came out and said, no, he's definitely dead. I saw him die. But there were some people who came out and said, "Um, no, he's not dead. He actually switched identities with a fallen soldier. Uh, Okay, okay. That's a little more far-fetched. Like, who came up with this idea? Do we know who first pitched this? No, I want to say it was just a rumor. Okay. You know, that kind of just, like, snowballed into an actual theory. Yeah. It's very romantic, you know, like, not in, like, the loving kind of sense, like, in the romanticized kind of way, like, oh, yeah, her dead ex-husband has come back. I'm not a fan. I don't think so. (laughs) It's a no for me. It's a no for me. Mm. So, moving on. Now we have... 
the Beechler brothers, and George Mader. Okay. Uh, at around 3.30 in the morning on April 1st, a local butcher, Simon Ricelander, he was riding his bike at 3.30 in the morning um, near the farm when he encountered two teenage boys acting suspiciously. They hid their faces, but he still recognized them as George Mader and Carl Beechler. Um, I think it's suspicious that someone's riding their bike at 3.30 a.m. Indeed. What's going on in this town? Who's riding their bike anyway, honestly? My dad. Well, your dad is a unicorn. That's not fair. Okay. Yeah, but even him, you know, like 3.30 a.m. Yeah. That, I mean, odd time. Whatever. Moving on. Okay. Farmer May that had quit the Gruber family, um, she also suspected the brothers Anton and Coral Beechler to have committed the murders. Um, she said that Anton had helped her on the farm so he knew his way, and she had overheard him saying that the Gruber family ought to be dead. Mm. That, though, she also emphasized in her interrogation that the dog on the farm barked at everybody but Anton. So the dog knew him. Correct. It had been around. He had been around enough for the dog to not be. Correct. Now, Anton's brother, Carl, he was known as a lazy worker, and he had been found guilty of multiple petty thefts from farms around the area. So, some had come out to say that Carl had asked them to participate in a robbery of the Hinterkaifeck farm, and that it would involve killing Andreas to scare the women. Hmm. That's a, that's pretty substantial. So right. What so there was a plan where he was just, gonna, they were going to like rob the farm and yeah. just scare the women. He was just going to kill, kill the dad. Right. Just for, just for scares. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't know like how, like, well that plan would have gone, but you know, obviously like he thought about it really hard. I would imagine that his IQ is quite low, but um, I mean, you know, yeah. now Carl was arrested in relation to the murders. Um, on May 5th, 1922, but he provided an alibi for the whole weekend. He was working in another town. There were multiple witnesses and all his alibis checked out. So they completely ruled him out. There is much less information though on George Mader, but he also had an alibi for that night. So was Simon Ricelander, our strange bike riding man, mistaken about the two young men he saw? Or was he actually involved with his magical bicycle? Oh, maybe so. And he was never a suspect. Uh, well, it sounds like everybody else was. <laughs> yeah, they were. They were, indeed. Because yeah, there was like hundreds of suspects. There was hundreds of suspects. And nobody was ever named an official suspect. Hmm. I don't know. I wonder like how easily back then it would have been to like fake an alibi or you know like have your alibi like like maybe this other guy was like yeah I was home with my mom and his mom was like yeah he was here with me <laughs> but it like you know they were just like oh cool yeah. I mean it definitely I mean I guess you really it was just all hearsay I guess it was about your reputation you know like if yeah. I had asked the town drunk to be my alibi they probably wouldn't take me very seriously 
well, and like, I totally understand the other, like Carl's alibi where he's like, you know, a bunch of witnesses saw him, but like George, like all it says is like, he had an alibi. Right. I couldn't find anything about his alibi. Right. No reports on it. All that was said was that he did have an alibi for that night and it did check out. But it does seem like the other guy was like the ringleader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't seem like he. Right. Correct. Like it's Carl was the ringleader and he's the one with the strongest alibi. For sure. So definitely weird, but not as like compelling as a case of, of Lorenz to me. Yes. Agreed. All right, okay. so then we move on to Joseph Bartle. And I think that's how you say his last name. I'm just going to go with it. All right. Yeah. Good old Joe. He was an inmate in an asylum about 60 miles away from the farm. He had actually escaped the asylum in 1921 and was never seen again. The police hmm. had heard that he was a prime suspect in a violent farm robbery in 1919. Okay, so like right before, got it. So they put a warrant out for his arrest, but he was never found. Like still to this day. Still to this day, he was never found. Well, that's pretty interesting. You know, if somebody has escaped from asylum. You'd say mentally ill? Yeah, 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 yeah. Either either mentally ill or like mentally like, you know, um, depraved in some way or like, having some like, you know, mental capacity issues. So that does make sense, especially with him. Like, you know, if you escape from an asylum, you don't have anywhere to live. Right. You know, so that would explain why he's in the attic. Yeah. Also and like, I, I like him for a suspect. I really do. I really like him for a suspect. Yeah. He's my favorite. He's your favorite. Yeah. I think he's my favorite. He's a very strange mystery man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's definitely my favorite suspect so far. Better mystery man than mystery meat. <laughs> <laughs> In the cafeteria. Okay, anyways, moving on. <laughs> we have the Gump brothers. Gump? Like Forrest Gump? Like Forrest Gump. So, almost 30 years after the murder, a woman named Crescentia Mayer told her priest on her deathbed that her two brothers had been responsible for the murders of the Gruber family. These men mm. were Adolf and Anton Gump. Hmm, okay. So, in 1922, um, a detective inspector made Adolf a potential suspect. All right, he was suspected of taking part in another killing, but was never arrested for the murders on the farm. By the time he was named by his sister as a suspect, he had already passed away. But his brother, Anton, was arrested based on evidence given by his sister, but was released shortly after because they had nothing to hold him on. He was cleared of any involvement in the murders due to a complete lack of evidence. And it was it had come out that his sister had been prone to making up stories. <laughs> oh man. I feel like somebody's going to say that about me one day for <laughs> sure. <laughs> like I've got the answer to this cold case and I'm going to give it on my deathbed. And they're like, <laughs> that gal. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, what can you expect? It's 30 years later 
from 1922, they, they weren't bagging up evidence. They weren't like taking down fingerprints or blood samples or anything like that. Like, what are they really going to say? Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, I agree. That thing, I, that was just a complete dead end. If you ask me. Yeah. Possible, possible, but can't really come to much because there's no, there's just no way you can prove it, you know? Right. And I don't know if I truly believe in any deathbed confessions. Oh, that's a, that's a strong assertion. No, because I feel like it's just so like egotistical. People do deathbed confessions because they want you to feel sorry for them. (laughs) Noted. I'll make sure that on my deathbed, I don't confess anything. No, just tell me before. Before I get on my deathbed? Okay, perfect. Uh, make sure to pencil that in. <laughs> so when I see it coming, hashtag tell yeah. Alyssa all your secrets. Perfect. I'll be waiting. Great. So the last two suspects are more current. Um, in 1999, there was an elderly woman who contacted the authorities claiming that her former landlord had admitted to having information about the Hinder Kaifak killings. In but- 1999? 1999 she reported this but oh my gosh it was learned that the landlord made this claim in 1935 when they got <gasps> there he was dead he was not alive <laughs> thanks girl so helpful you're the best <laughs> no listen to me old ladies it's just <laughs> Melissa said you have to tell us before you're on your deathbed Right. I mean, how, oh God. I wonder if maybe, maybe what if she was so scared of him that she waited until she knew he was dead? Honey, she's <laughs> full of shit. <laughs> if she really thought he had anything to do with it, she would have told the police. Let That's weird. That. Just to like randomly call up in 1999. Hey. Hey, in 1935, my landlord made a flippant comment to me about some murders. <laughs> Excuse, what are you talking about? My God. Just thought you'd like to know. Yeah. Excuse And they get there to question him and he's ding-dong dead in a ditch. Exactly. She seems like a more likely suspect than the landlord. Why is uh, she this on anyone, Betty Sue? Hmm, is she left-handed? Hmm? Probably. Hmm? Probably. Hmm? Probably. Probably. Can a woman handle a pickaxe? Yes, she can. A woman can do anything. Depends on how angry she is. Exactly. Mm. That's weird. We have our final suspect, Paul Mm. Mueller. Okay. So, author Bill James wrote a book, The Man from the Train, and he alleged that Paul Mueller may have been responsible for the murders. Paul Mueller is accused of killing two families in their isolated homes with the use of a blunt edge form tool, such as a pickaxe. Mm. And there was an absence of motive, like robbery. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, I'm listening. Okay, so Bill James suspected that Mueller, who was described as a German immigrant, might have left the U.S. after people began to catch on to his activities. Oh. 
Yes. In 1912, there were two families murdered in a single night, one in Colorado Springs and another in a neighboring Canvas uh, town. Oh, okay. So there, when, when did this happen? 1912. Oh, okay. So, so the murders happened in America. Yes. And then the murders happened in Germany. Yes. So they're thinking that this guy went from America to Germany. And you said it was because he thought people were figuring him out. Yes. Oh, okay. Now that's really all we know about him. I'm going to have to read this book. The Man from the Train. Yeah. I wonder if that book is about, if it's about um, the murders or, or what. It seems like it would be about the murders in Colorado and Kansas. So, we'll Colorado and Kansas. Let's see. It says it's a true crime book written by Bill James and his daughter, Rachel McCarthy James. Um, and let's see. Yeah, it's about the analysis of contemporary records and the existence and identity of a serial killer, Paul Mueller, who operated throughout North America in the early 20th century, killing between 40 and 100 people. Holy shit. Uh, yeah, maybe we need to do an entire episode on him. That would be interesting. So I'm guessing in the book, he must have just like, the author must have just said that he was, oh yeah, here it is. He, he just suggests that he may have been responsible for the 1922 Hinterkaifeck murders in Germany. Yes. Um, creepy. Ooh. right that's, that's really weird strange um yeah. connection there yeah and so that's kind of one theory which brings me to some other theories that people have about the Hinterkaifeck murders okay. so police at first some police thought it was a murder suicide pact between Andreas and Victoria but that was quickly ruled out because of the nature of their wounds can you pickaxe yourself to death? No. I mean, honestly, who are they? Who's hiring these police? Jeez, <laughs> like, or maybe if it's like, hey, let's just both swing our axes at the same time, and hopefully, we knock each other out. Yeah, but but then who would have killed the children? Who gets rid of the axe once y'all are both dead? And puts it in who the ad- bodies. I don't know. Mm, no. Next. Agreed. So. <laughs> That space in the attic where they found the human feces and the crumbs of food, there's some debate over whether that was where the killer was hiding or if it was a secret place that Andreas brought Victoria for them to have their little tete-a-tete. Hmm. Okay, but why would there be human feces there? Honestly, I don't know what kind of stuff they were into, so I'm just going to let it go. Okay, well, you know... Yeah, we'll just leave that at that because uh, it seems like it wasn't really a traditional relationship. So exactly, and you never know. Honestly, you never know. No judgment, but that's weird. He agreed completely. Which is a judgment, but yeah, it's okay. It's weird. I'm not judging you for judging them, because I'm judging them just like you are. Ew. Ew. <laughs> so. <laughs> Also, the police went to the barn and conducted several tests, and they found that screaming or yelling from the barn could not be heard from the living quarters. Okay. To me, 
this would kind of debase the fact that the dog didn't respond to Anton. If you can't hear a human beings yelling, can you hear a dog barking? No, but I think that that just meant that like whenever Anton was around, like that like had he been sneaking in and out of the house before the murders that the dog wouldn't have barked at him. But I'm saying if the dog, the dog wouldn't have barked at him, but what about his companions? Yeah. Because they didn't think he acted alone until they were. Right. That's just something I'm thinking of. You know, like, why would the dog matter? Why would the maid say that the dog didn't react to Anton? Why was that even a factor? Well, I'm thinking, I guess I'm thinking, like, if, I think that whoever it was did act alone. And then I think that the maid said that because it was all just like personal speculation, obviously. That I think that she's saying, you know, if someone was living in this attic and like crawling up and down and coming and going all times of night, wouldn't the dog be barking at him? You know, at this person like coming out of the attic, but the dog didn't bark at him, which means that he was around a lot and the dog was used to seeing him. Right, or this person just never left the attic. True, but then, like, what were they eating? Well, I mean, they could have gone into the house. I'm guessing that the dog was an outside dog. Yeah, it is a farm. I don't know. I mean, I think, yeah, especially if you if you're not going to hear, if you're not going to hear a human screaming, then you're not going to hear a dog barking. Right, and then so you think that this person acted alone. But then what about like the theory that they were killed one by one and how were they lured to the barn? Was it by someone they knew? Did something happen in the barn that brought them there? I don't know. And why were the maid and Yosef by themselves in the room? I don't know. Maybe, I mean, it's, it's almost like she was like his nanny or something. And so she was like staying with him in the house, but like, why was everyone else? Yeah. And that's not the vibe that I got about the maid. Yeah. Um, in the same room as, as him or they were in different rooms they were found in the same room yeah yes I don't know how they lured them out I don't know how they could have gotten all of them out together right so strange yeah for sure so it was determined that the murders occurred around bedtime because Andreas and little Cazillo were both in night clothes um, the Gruber's bed looked like someone had gotten back out of one side, but they can't really tell anything about the order of death from the way the bodies were piled. So, because Lorenz disturbed the order as soon as they were found. Of course. Right. We're back to Lorenz. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there was really like no estimated time of death for any of them. So, you know, was it a crime of passion? I do think so. But what would, like, why? What was the passion? You know, was it, who was it aimed at? There had to be one person that it was, you know, aimed for. If it was Victoria and she had been there the longest, that would have made sense that maybe a disgruntled lover had come for revenge, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, but what about the rest of the family? I mean, collateral. True. You know? Yeah, but so much of it was so deep and personal, like with the little girl, 
Yeah. You know, and with the little boy, it's just like with the amount of force it would have taken for them to have, have destroyed the bassinet and, you know, for her to have these gaping wounds on her face. Like, do you really do that to collateral or do you just get rid of them? I don't know if we would go with your mentally ill theory. It's possible. Or maybe somebody who was just so enraged. Yeah. But the question is again, now that you bring it up, how did, you know, okay, let's say it's this mentally ill guy, Bartle. How did he get all of them to the barn? Right. Without using force. I know. I really don't know. My, my thoughts on it were the crime was committed by someone who knew how to run a farm. They were familiar with livestock and they were comfortable enough to stay at the farm after the murders. Um, and they were strong enough to swing a pickaxe. They didn't really care about money because they didn't take any. And they had a super personal reason for the crime. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, all the animals were taken care of, unharmed. This was personal against the family. All right. So now I have a little bit of a weird, um, a weird fact for you. Are you ready? Yes, totally weird. So after the investigation had been closed, the bodies of the Grubers were sent for autopsies, but their heads were completely removed and sent to psychics for um, metaphysical clues. What? (laughs) What? 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 Wait a minute. Wait. They cut off their heads. Yes. All six of them Mm -hmm. and sent them to psychics. Yes. What the hell? Right. Who made this decision? Honestly, I'm not sure. How do you get the job? (laughs) What? I said, I'm not sure, but it wasn't a good one. How do you get that job? How do you have a job as a psychic where people send you decapitated heads? Yeah, I mean, like, definitely not a dream job. Maybe, like, a starter-upper job, you know? Like, something to, like, just kind of get you going so that you can have more. Yeah, yeah. This is where it really sucks because the psychics were completely unsuccessful. And to make it worse, um, all the heads were lost in World War II. <laughs> all the heads were gone. So the bodies of the user Kaifak murders be buried headless in a cemetery in a nearby town no. how pissed off of a ghost would you be if you had no head and you were buried how do you disrespect it how do you lose six heads i mean okay oh, no. there was a world war going on i get that but you know but you're, you're gonna lose six heads there would, it seems like there would be more of an explanation. Like, oh, our house got bombed. Oh, you know, like this happened. Right. But they, to, just to add insult to injury, literally. Yeah. Like, literally. Hey, hey, y'all, sorry, we did a completely shit job on your investigation, but we also lost your heads. Okay, can you, okay, first of all, how many psychics were involved in this? Second of all, can you imagine getting together that morning, you know, for your psychic meeting and being like, hey guys, okay, so 
we lost all the heads. Who's going to call and tell them? Yeah, I'd be like, not me. I'm not a psychic anymore, so. Nose goes. Nose goes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, first of all, y'all couldn't even get anything from the heads. Second of all, you lost them. Excuse me, who's in charge here? Because somebody has got to answer to this. This is ridiculous. Ain't going to be Miss Cleo. Let me tell you, she would never lose your heads. Absolutely not. Miss Cleo is so legit. She would know, she would, all she would have to do is just touch your head. They wouldn't even have to cut it off. She'd be like, I know what happened. I wish that everyone could see the face you just made because you were like, all she had to do was, and then you like scrunched up one eyeball. And I was like, what? She has to like wink at them? <laughs> A really aggressive wink. Really? Uh, That's probably what she does. I am Miss Cleo. Um, <laughs> so. Oh. <laughs> wow. So can you tell us what happened to their heads? I cannot. What in the, what, what is happening? And first of all, it's just like, for, okay, first of all, whoever said like, hey, you know, we're at the police department. We really need some answers. I've got an idea. Let's cut off their heads and let's send it to some psychics. And somebody was like, great idea. Yeah. I mean. Honestly, oh, write it down. Yeah, send them off. What kind of shipping? Oh man, they paid a lot. <laughs> what kind of of parcel service takes? Night Express. That sounds horrible. And then, yeah, okay, just just let's just jump over that hurdle. Somebody at the police station was like, "I've got it." Chop off their heads send them to the psychic and someone else was like yes get this man a raise yeah and then the next thing we know the psychics get the heads they're like oh man this is a bad time to tell people that we were faking it <laughs> let's lose the heads and say it was world war ii yeah and then we're just like oh man doesn't this suck for everyone sorry yeah, let's just go ahead and bury their bodies. Yeah. Headless. Basically. Yep. How horrific. I am I'm I'm flabbergasted. I'm floored. You know, when you told me that this was sick, I didn't think you meant like that's sick. Yeah. yeah. I mean mm. and honestly, it doesn't get any worse. I mean, like this is as bad as it gets, thank God. We do have to update. Yes, please don't like mail my head off ever. Honestly, I'll try not to, but like if somebody proposes it, it's like probably a good idea. Someone at your local police station proposes after an autopsy to mail anyone's head anywhere. Say no. Okay, I'll try. Number one for any listener. And I just want to, I just want to apologize for my like absolute outburst of inappropriate laughter when you said that they lost their heads because that was hilarious to me and uh appropriate if you want to know i'm the kind of person that like oh god i was about to literally say the words to that awful song but like <laughs> i have horrible bursts of laughter even like at a funeral yeah anyway that's me so yeah like we said i'm um, dark humor 
anyway, that is just, okay, let's hear the updates. Maybe that'll make me feel a little better. So we have some updates. So in 2007, students from a German police academy got the task to investigate the case one more time using modern criminal investigative techniques. So they did their thing, girl. They concluded that it was impossible to solve this crime after all this time had passed, evidence was missing, or some of it was never even taken. Crime hmm. sketches were not made, fingerprint traces were not taken, and not properly preserved. Possible suspects had passed away. They did consider one person to be the main suspect, but they didn't name that person in their report out of respect for that person's still living relatives. So again, there's suspicion, but no hard evidence. Right. Yeah. Um, and I mean, honestly, after all this time, what can you really do? It sounds like the whole thing, the whole shebang, all of it, was a big shit show. It was, completely. But now the whole homestead is a memorial shrine. I guess they did that to make up for cutting their heads off, losing them, and then burying them without their heads. That's probably one of the worst things I've ever heard in my life. It's pretty terrible. I don't know if I'll ever be able to top this case. I mean, I know I had a shit ton of information, but you know that whenever I had finished taking my notes, I had like 68 pages of notes because there's so much shit that comes along with this case. And I was just completely flabbergasted. It haunts me. And there was so much information about all the suspects that they had. Right. Like, for such a bad job that they did on everything else, they had, they did have a lot of information about suspects, but it's almost like they just collected all of it and then they stopped there. Right. Like they had all this information, but it just wasn't enough. Yeah. You know, like they had information, but like, it felt like, yeah, like it stopped there. They didn't go further. And now, I mean, like we're so, we're so far away from it. What can they really do? Because like those students said, nothing was preserved correctly. Half of it wasn't even collected. You know, there were, the sketches weren't done. I mean, they really, they really fucked this one up, man. Yeah, I'll say. So. Man, that's crazy. Well, I wonder if you can like go and see the memorial shrine today. Yes, I will post a picture of it on our Instagram, and it it will also be on our website. Awesome. So our Instagram is at Gals and Gore, easy to find. So easy. And our website is also listed on our Instagram bio. Yes. Yeah, hopefully you stayed with us this far. I promise you it will get better. We will get better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't think that the content is going to get better because that's pretty much what we do. We talk about um, gory things, horrible things that have happened, especially, you know, to kind of bring some, you know, knowledge and light to the things that have happened. Because, I mean, I had personally never heard about this before. Right. And maybe some clarity and maybe somebody out there knows something, you know, or has some sort of attachment to this case. Yeah. You really don't ever know. Oh, I think I'm going to go enjoy a nice cup of tea now and uh, try to sleep tonight. Same. I'm going to go drink some wine and let my kids climb all over me and scream in my ear.
So thanks for listening to our first episode of Gals and Gore. We'll be back next week with another brand new episode and another murder, mysterious disappearance, or otherwise gory happening to talk to you about, pick it apart, and make general fools of ourselves. It's been fun. It was fun. We're glad you stuck around if you're still here. And uh, we hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. (laughs) Thanks, boy. What are you doing here? Dodgy place. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, Slug repellent.